The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 111. This is a sequel to Shaun of the Dead. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. Welcome, newly infected members of the zombie populace and inebriated patrons of the Winchester Pub to this episode of Sequel Quest. Allow me to introduce you to our ragtag group of podcast survivors. First up, it's the man whose words can sometimes get a bit bitey. It's Jeff. (laughs) I like it. That's me. Next, it's Jeremy and you've got red on you. Is that a compliment? (laughs) (laughs) And here with the promise that I'll stop doing it when you stop laughing. I'm Adam. That's actually not a promise. I'd probably still keep doing anything, yeah. regardless of laughter, <laughs> as this podcast has proven. And tonight, to help us navigate this ridiculous landscape of fun and literal busted guts, a returning guest to the podcast who longtime listeners will remember from our past episodes pitching sequels to The Mask and Super Mario Brothers, currently enjoying a tasty bag of hog lumps, it's Colin. How's it going, buddy? Hey. hey, how's it going? It's good to be here. Happy Halloween, everybody! <laughs> Caught us in the middle of some fun-sized candy bars and whatnot. Yes, this is our Halloween episode. We figured there's going to be lots of people slapping on some gray face paint and shuffling along in ripped-up shirts and asking for candy this year. So, doing a zombie movie was right on theme for this month. And actually, when you think about it, guys, like, isn't the zombie costume basically what it used to be to be like a hobo? You know how, like, back in the days, when our parents were doing Halloween, they're like, oh yeah, I dressed as a hobo for like three years in a row. You just wear old clothes and put dirt no, on your face. No, that's really true. That's, it's like the new default fallback costume, basically. Yeah. Or in the 80s, I think the default was just like Jason. You know, you just like, you'd find a really cheap Jason mask and then you just walk around with a flannel shirt on or something. Wait, hang on a second. Do you guys actually dress up for Halloween? Oh, you yeah. know we're like in our 30s, right? Uh, <laughs> anybody here? I mean, I, I have a, uh, do you know David S. Pumpkins from the Saturday Night Live sketch? <laughs> I have that suit, and I, I that's kind of my fallback Halloween costume right now. Yeah, I got to go out and visit Colin last year, and I saw that in his closet. I'm like, what is this? Because I hadn't seen the skit. So I'm like, oh, that's a cool orange outfit i don't know they did a whole animated slash live action holiday special last year for halloween with david s pumpkins <laughs> it was super silly but it was funny it was <laughs> good old I, I tom do, hanks adam is the kind of a person that no one else in the office would dress up and adam would come in the full costume and wear it all day long that's a hundred percent i don't know about the happens. rest of us <laughs> it's true and now and now that awesome. you're a stay-at-home dad i feel like you you still dress up and just wear it all day at home. Well, what I do now, this is the thing, and my neighbors have been coming up to me this year because I go all out on the house decorations, on the porch decorations. <laughs> I mean, we 
we got bodies coming I up out of the that. ground. We got Jason over in the corner by our pine trees. I mean, we got all sorts of stuff going on. And so, you know, kids are afraid to come to our house for candy. But everybody's like, what are you doing this year? Did you get some new stuff? We can't wait to come to your house. So, yeah. That's great. That's, <laughs> that's excellent, in my opinion. I love that. Jeff, you made mention we're a little old for this, but it's still fun. <laughs> but when it was appropriate, what would you yeah, guys yeah. say was your favorite costume on a Halloween night that you were so proud of? Jeff, do you have one? Proud of? I've never been a big Halloween guy. For me, dressing up and trick-or-treating, it made me a little uncomfortable, to be honest with you. <laughs> so my favorite was, for two years, I actually did a haunted house, or well, it was kind of a haunted house. It was a haunted experience at my house. So I enjoyed that. We didn't really dress up, but uh, that was kind of my favorite Halloween experience. Jeff, I know for a fact, I have seen photographic evidence that in 1992, when Batman Returns came out, you had a floppy-eared Batman costume your mom made you. It's that was true. not a favorite? Okay, I guess it was my favorite at the time. What do you want from me? <laughs> I mean, uh, although the sad thing was is that, you know, and for anyone that's mom has made their outfits, the sad thing is, is that you know, especially now as adults, your parents put like so much effort into that, but unless your parents were like a professional costume designer, you could always tell. Because the Walmart ones would always look better. And so all of the pictures that Adam's referring to, I look really depressed because there were totally <laughs> so many better store-bought Batman costumes out there that I kind of was upstaged. Uh, makes it so much better. And he looks like the one from, like, the serials that they made in 1940. You know, the Batman. Oh, wow. The really old ones, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had a similar costume there, Jeff, to that Batman one. It was basically the same material that made the cape ran up into the, the yep. cowl. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you could call it a cowl. And yeah, the the padding in the ears that just kind of flopped and went wherever it went. Oh, see, so Bat Jeremy, Bat Jeff. Now, I know also, speaking of photographic evidence, recently I was privy to an awesome photograph of Colin oh my from 1989 dressed in a full Ghostbusters jumpsuit with the proton <laughs> pack. Was that Halloween? Yeah, yeah, it was. That wasn't and... just playtime at your house? <laughs> it, I mean, it became that, of course. Like, I, I mean, I couldn't let it go. I mean, it was a full jumpsuit. I loved the movie. I loved the toys and the cart in the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And to this day, that remains one of my favorite costumes of all time because I had the whole set. Like, I had the proton pack. I had the trap. You know, the suit. Like, I had all of the gear. So I felt so official. I mean, like honestly, that and recently, my David S. Pumpkin suit was very was a big hit at the party I went to. So yeah, it was. Those were kind of two of my favorite costumes right there. Yeah, and for people who don't know you, you know, this first time you're hearing Colin on the show, you know, Jeff and I have been friends for a very long time. Colin and I have been friends even longer. So I have to assume there was some Halloween we got together and went out, but I don't recall. I, mean, I love Halloween, I, and I love doing it. I, I There had to be a time when we spent time, because, we, you know, I used to spend a lot of time at your house, and we would hang out, you know, growing up. We were in costume a lot at my house, but it was never Halloween. <laughs> It was for videos, for, for making for making videos. It was great. 
But uh, when I was very young, you know, I did have the store-bought stuff. I went as Yoda. You know, my mom made a Superboy costume. I was Pinocchio. You know, I had all those. But I think my favorite had to be in 1995 when I put together my own costume to be the Shadow from the 1994 Alec Baldwin film. Got the hat, got the trench coat, had the red scarf, had the fedora. And I remember going to this church Halloween party and nobody knew who I was. (laughs) I would let out my big booming laugh. It was echoing through the gym and i was on cloud nine and everybody's like who is is he a flasher what are you so that was unfortunate are you the neighborhood watch guy yeah <laughs> but that I, I was so proud of myself that year so that was that was a good one oh but halloween is a fun time and i i the one thing too though when i started thinking about this doing a zombie movie can we be honest i think we might be at the end of the zombie era it feels like yeah. they kind of burnt it out over the last yeah. five or six years. Well, I mean, Dead Walking fading, Dead right? just drug out. Yep. And they just, didn't they just reboot that? I'm not well, an were, expert on the series. I, I, they I were, think they're it. spinning it off. They were supposed to have a spinoff series, another spinoff series. So right. They already the first have one. one was a prequel. And so, then somewhat, this one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they know it's a money grab. So AMC is just going to keep pumping it out. But I mean, Zombieland too. Yeah, I'm not Double sure. Tap. I, I'm not sure I agree, Adam. I mean, for me, I feel like the vampire thing kind of faded away. But I feel like the zombie thing, because the vampire thing wasn't as much of a genre as much as it was sexy romance thing, is that people thought vampires were so sexy <laughs> for a while. Whereas nobody's ever thought that that zombies are sexy. (laughs) But I feel like zombies are just, you know, like a thing that it's... Because I think the post-apocalyptic thing is still very that fantasy or or whatever it is, or or, uh, fascinating at least. And so a zombie apocalypse is kind of an easy connection, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, we, we still have stuff coming out on a regular basis. I mean, even though, like, Plants vs. Zombies is, like, a classic video game at this point. You know, oh, yeah. it's been around so long. Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore. I don't think it's the top of the Netflix charts, but I hear people discuss it. And even I just, for one of my paying writing gigs, you know, podcasting, gotta pay the bills. I reviewed for popgeeks.net this show called Bunkheads that is basically like, a you know, a sitcom style show on Amazon. It's an Amazon original where it's just a bunch of people in a bunker during the zombie apocalypse and they're just a bunch huh. of goofballs that oh. have to make the time. So it's like the people are still producing it, but at the same time, I, yeah, I think there isn't the scare factor probably of zombies anymore. It's kind of a cute thing. It's just been appropriated in general by pop culture, which was not the case when Shaun of the Dead came out. Imagine that. We're finally getting to the film. I am curious to know for you guys, before we get into Shaun of the Dead itself, because it really was the launching point for a a filmmaker who has made his mark in a big way, and that's Edgar Wright. Were you guys 100% on board when Shaun of the Dead came out? Were you Edgar Wright fans previous? Or have you even become (laughs) prior to us doing the show is the question. How about you, Colin? Are you an Edgar Wright man? I am, actually. I love Edgar Wright. I mean, because I'm familiar with Spaced, his his little uh, miniseries, and I, I loved uh, Scott Pilgrim. I thought it was really good. I just found out that he did Baby Driver. I didn't know that was an Edgar Wright film. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, yeah, no, I think he's awesome. How about you, Jeff? Oh, yeah. He's not the Hitchcock of our time, but he's probably the greatest filmmaker of our time, I think, as far as just creative genius and just everything that he does. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan. 
I think I agree with that. I was actually thinking of that as I was prepping for the show. It's like Edgar Wright's films are the ones that in like 30, 40 years, people are going to be going back and dissecting in film school. Well, they do already, but even more so, you're right. I think it's going to endure. I don't think he's of the moment. I think it's something where he'd be like, okay, here is a director with a very specific style who carried that all throughout his filmmaking career. Jeremy, I know, you know, we had Scott Pilgrim. You said it was always on in the background, but had you seen any of his other movies? Yeah, I've I've dabbled in Edgar Wright stuff. Uh, it's He's a pretty nice filmmaker. He just takes a long time producing them, mm. whether it's in the writing stage stage or once you get to the shooting and and sometimes he'll just out of the blue just kind of drop a baby driver on you that's like wait what <laughs> and yeah it's it's interesting yeah because like i you know i ignored Shaun of the dead zombie films are not a big deal for me so that's that's something that i just i didn't pursue initially and then yeah it was for me a, a situation of working backwards because when i got dragged to a screening of scott pilgrim not knowing about it and being like what is this it's like a whole new world opened up to me so i immediately like you know rented Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz and then started watching spaced you know on, on my break yeah. at work on that Netflix, and so I was just like 100% in the, the Edgar Wright world. I haven't seen At World's End, though, which is kind of the end of that first trilogy. I didn't like it as much. Oh, okay, that must be why. <laughs> I don't hear about it. Yeah, I didn't like it as much. I really liked Hot Fuzz was a guilty pleasure. I knew some people didn't like it. Even when I went to the movie to see it, uh, the people I went with didn't like it as much. I was like, I liked it. I thought it was silly and funny. And did, You guys, did you know he was supposed to direct Ant-Man? But there was a big oh, yeah. chaotic... Well, he did yeah. He directed oh, yeah. like three quarters of it. He basically developed right. all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> developed it. And you could tell, I mean, the whole, you know. Oh, totally. Yeah. His and style yeah, is all over he it. He didn't shoot it, he was the force well, behind writing it. Yeah. They, know, like, they brought the Paul Rudd on too. and had him redo a bunch of rewrites. Well, Paul Rudd threatened to quit after they let go because he even said the biggest right. genius he's ever worked with. Yeah. That's for me. That's. That's the one biggest mistake that MCU had to recover from was losing Edgar Wright because I felt like Ant-Man, as much as I enjoyed it, it definitely suffered it would have been a game changer and instead it was just like yeah yeah and i think it's interesting too when you think about this world that edgar wright creates you know this was, really was his first you know mainstream hit but it was also the world's introduction to simon pegg and nick frost you know who i think they're an interesting comedy duo in that they are totally in sync they're like a british bill and ted like as opposed to you know david spade and chris farley or you know like like it's not that uh, animosity they're just good buds that have a good time together you know and, and they're in these crazy situations that just is kind of how their films uh, you know play out and so i think it's nice i think that's why we can connect so easily with them because they were actually friends like that's the craziest part about this in my research is they were roommates you know mm. and and simon Pegg is out there acting he's got his show he's got spaced and he brings nick frost into that show just because he's like he's the funniest person i know he's just a waiter mm. right now he should be on tv so nick frost like i spent all my spaced money and then i just went back to being a waiter <laughs> and then oh, wow. eventually they, you know he and uh, edgar started writing this movie and then i was in this movie <laughs> which is pretty hilarious wow. he's very much who he is in the film it sounds like <laughs> Absolutely. The UK knew who these guys were uh, right. before before we did. So it was actually a really nice way to discover them. And then we could go back and watch because we didn't get space like it was kind of hard to get or watch right. at the time. Right. I, I think it was a BBC. All right. So 
this is the the next thing then so as we get into the film itself we're going to change it up a little bit here tonight we're, we're going to give jeremy a break and colin is coming in here he's going to give us the basic lowdown on what is Shaun of the dead for those of you who have not caught up with it just yet a zombie movie comedy it's like dawn of the dead it's kind of the same thing that's the joke it's both a scary and funny ride you know you have sean who works in an electronics department and basically very mundane it's about him and his girl friend and their friends and his buddy and they hang out at the pub together and his girlfriend and him are having some problems and that kind of develops over a zombie apocalypse that is also developing in the background and you slowly get these hints these breadcrumbs throughout the movie that this zombie apocalypse is happening this day in the life he's just kind of walking through going through the motions you know he's got his flatmate Pete, and he doesn't like his friend he's being told to get his life together he's kind of a loser of a guy but all of this kind of gets pushed to the background as this zombie apocalypse movie unfolds and these guys become survivors in a in a very scary you know situation that wraps around them and you see how they survive and how the movie unfolds also their relationships come to a head as the movie develops and we see how some of them survive the apocalypse i don't i don't know if i'm allowed to give away spoilers here yeah i'm with this movie's almost 20 years old so right Oh my God! Um, yeah, it's it came out what 2003, 2004 is is very funny, very quick. A lot of it's very visual with visual gags, very you know smash cuts like Edgar Wright's his little visual style where he likes to do like these quick almost what, what you, like almost like a reference to Requiem for a Dream where they did those really quick smash cuts of things happening really quick. But it was all very mundane things like he would turn these like very normal moments into like these scary zombie moments. Well, yeah, I mean I, I think that that's very very valid like you say that it is so incremental the build-up yes. because it li- literally is like you know okay there's some newspapers here oh there's right. a, a groomsman buying some flowers at a floral shop who comes back later as a zombie you know the military <laughs> right. vehicles driving past the floral shop window or up until a guy's head being chewed off outside the pub but they think it's a couple making out you know right <laughs> and this man's running you know for his life right past him and he's like oh okay like he just kind of shrugs it off like it's no big deal and then it just it just slowly creeps on you and it actually is a little bit scary like that was one of my big takeaways from watching this again as i was like he hits these really good beats like of what you would expect from a zombie movie and you know just the way it unfolds and you hear like radio in the background and tv in the background of like scary things happening and and by the way that guy's name was colin like the guy in the tv in the back was like oh is colin there i guess we'll get back to colin like we, we we lost him for a second and it's actually very smart and very well put together i was actually very impressed you know rewatching it because it, it had been about you know 15 years or so since i had seen this movie so it was it was actually really fun to rewatch it yeah and i'm curious so jeff when you come into it are you more on board for the rom-com side of it or are you more on board for the zombie excitement that is peppered throughout i mean like it only works because it's both if you're looking for a romantic comedy you're going to be disappointed and if you're looking for a zombie movie you're going to be disappointed but the play that they do back and forth like colin you mentioned about them doing space 
released is this is actually they said that they came up with the idea from an episode of Spaced where he's been playing so much Resident Evil that he Resident starts, Evil, yeah. He starts thinking everyone is a zombie and starts like fighting yeah. them all. And then they just kind of continue with that idea. Uh, And that's very much the way that it feels. Like you guys said, yeah, it's a very kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like the romance, at the end, I'm kind of like, why is she into him? Like, no, no, there's no, I don't feel like there's much buildup as far as that's concerned. But that very British, aloof treatment of it is what I really enjoy. And, of course, just like, like all the stuff you were talking about, Colin, is just Edgar Wright's style of filmmaking mm-hmm. is is so unique and fresh and the relationship he has with his parents i think is also very british not my dad <laughs> right not my dad parents. and yeah. and his mom and like the way his mom is with him but i didn't want to be a bother <laughs> right and, and it should be mentioned also that if you guys need any explanation of british culture both of our moms are married to british men <laughs> oh yeah that's right that's right <laughs> so oh my that's god that's just kind of the way it worked out in our lives and so now we have british so stepdads <laughs> There you go. It is interesting, and I was thinking about this today, is that when I, I took a film class in college, and I remember the professor was saying, at least in his eyes, that the mark of a truly great comedy is a comedy that doesn't have to get serious in order to tell a story, that they can tell the story through the comedy. And that's one of the things that I love about this movie is that I feel like they do that unbelievably well he almost plays with the emotions of the audience where he's like i'm gonna give you a significant emotional moment and then immediately flip it on its side with a zombie or with something that's silly or funny or like like he has that whole reconciliation with bill nike's stepdad character yes and then instantly he's turned into a zombie and starts to try and kill him and it was just so or what i think there's even a line where he's like you know i finally get along with and now it doesn't matter or something like that well, like, and that's that's one of my favorite parts is they were saying like there's nothing of him left in him now and like as a zombie he turns the music off inside the car and, <laughs> and is relieved like because he's been bugged by it the whole time right yeah. it bothered him the whole time <laughs> no I, I I was curious because Jeff you said that it doesn't exist in your mind without the zombie element but I feel mm-hmm. like this movie could have just as easily been girlfriend hates your loser friend and the comedy still would have worked really well like you know i don't know like i feel like that's what space was although it had like fantasy sequences and all that stuff it was about just kind of like everyday life of young 20 somethings and kind of who you bring into your sphere of influence so i never had the loser hanger on friend who doesn't want to grow up i mean maybe i was that for somebody else jeff call it by your head I mean, on some level, everybody can relate, it seems. But at the same time, I feel like what was mentioned, that the fact that the zombie movie really is a zombie movie. I mean, when David gets eaten by the mob and he gets pulled through the window of the Winchester pub, oh my you know? God. I mean, it's comedic, but it's gross. Like, there are guts everywhere. That was a direct reference to Dawn of the Dead. That's a scene from that movie, like, where they use the same exact effect of pulling the guts out of his stomach. And I think I remember the line he goes choke on it choke on it as he's like getting ripped apart by the zombies yeah it's like that was like a direct visual reference to to a previous zombie movie when we talk about edgar wright's genius simon Pegg is very much a collaborator in this i mean the writing mm-hmm. 
of these characters does come from Simon Pegg as much as Edgar Wright in some ways maybe a little bit more I mean he's living the dream if you think about it he's in every Mission Impossible film he's Scotty in the rebooted Star Trek films he's the one quarter portion guy in The Force Awakens the fact that he also gets to write on all these projects like I think he even he rewrote Into Darkness for better or for worse you know like but, but he gets to have a lot of influence on, on how his characters and the characters he will interact with play out and so I think you know we should give him his due as well because ultimately it is a character piece you yes. love everybody in it even the people you hate you still are endeared to them on some level you know like David previously mentioned or, or Pete or anybody else yeah uh, but Jeremy do you have a favorite like scene or, or character in this movie that just cracked you up you know it's been a while since I've watched this I, I keep getting this and there are scenes from Hot Fuzz that just keep yeah, I, I don't really have a favorite scene out of this movie, honestly. Well, when you mentioned Hot Fuzz, I mean, if we're going to still talk about gore, I mean, there is a, a wicked impaling of Timothy yes, Dalton in yes, Hot Fuzz. I remember know, that. <laughs> could fit very well in this movie. He might as well be a zombie, the fact that he lives through that one. Well, and I, I feel like there are some differences between American style and British style. And it's, it's the same thing we, we, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about the swearing is that in British culture, a lot of times, I think their version of swearing is a little bit different than ours sometimes. It's just different. And so for an American audience to watch a British film, essentially, I mean, it's the same thing with Taika Waititi's films, is that when you watch everything except for Thor Ragnarok, it has a different (laughs) vibe to it. It has a different feel, which, you know, if we're going to judge it by our American standards, that's not quite fair. You know, they've got kind of different, different things they're going for. Well, and, uh, like, I know that better than most, possibly, only because my wife just loves watching BBC television. I mean, on Netflix, mm. all she watches is, like, Sherlock and Midsummer Murders and all these, like, different oh, that's shows. Funny. And I, so she just loves British murder shows, essentially. But for me, <laughs> Edgar Wright is the only British filmmaker who makes that type of comedy accessible to me. You know, because otherwise it all does feel kind of, like, low-key and drab, and I don't know. 100% jump on board all the time. I agree. I think that's very well said, actually, is that Edgar Wright makes a lot of that British humor very accessible to Americans. Um, and that's, I think, a very interesting bridge that he's crossed because some of the British humor is very quick and there's a lot of dialogue and sometimes a lot of, you know, colloquialisms and that we would not get or wrap our heads around. But Shaun of the Dead is pretty easy to understand, I think, for most audiences. Well, and I wonder, too, because I remember I heard Stephen Fry the comedian talk about the difference between British comedy and American comedy said that in American comedy traditionally the protagonist the hero is always somehow above all of the mayhem where they're somehow superior they're triumphing over it like all of these crazy things are happening but don't worry I'm not giving up I'm still gonna rise to the occasion and blah 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 whereas British comedy is traditionally like Mr. Bean where it's everything has gone wrong and I'm just like bop bop it's almost the lovable loser is the British style of comedy and it's interesting too like you think about cultural identities whereas Americans we see ourselves as the John Wayne as the one that's always coming in and saving the world from whatever whereas the British were like we were a big deal back in like the 1800s and now we're just one <laughs> little island and so it, it, it's, it kind of affects so the way funny. that they view themselves as well. 
Yeah, well, I was talking about this with my wife the other day, is American comedy, at least the male-based comedy, is we all want to be Bill Murray. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to be able to be jerks and get away with it. It's yeah. essentially like yeah. American comedy. Good. You know, you're, you're so clever, you insulted everybody, and you're not being right. really respectful, but everybody still loves you anyway. You know, we all want that. And for better or for worse, just look at Twitter, I guess. <laughs> right. Family right. Guy, I think, is a really good example of that. He Peter gets away with bloody murder, and everybody still loves him for it at the end. You know, like, he gets to do yeah. literally whatever he wants. And, well, and that Seth MacFarlane has definitely embodied that joking style with his characters and across a variety of shows. Now, the other British director that I was trying to bring up, I keep getting these two mixed up, Vince Gilligan and Terry Gilliam. Or is it Vince Gilligan? Oh, (laughs) no, it's Terry Gilliam and they're American. Breaking Baron Munchausen. Okay. (laughs) I love this treatise we're doing on British cinema versus American cinema, and we're not talking about all the zombies who are just, you know, eating people and the bloody murder that was spoken of. The the valid point is, is that I can't really name a whole lot of other British zombie movies. Is that most of the zombie movies that we're comparing this to, that we're talking about, are American-made. And I this one feels very different. Some of that's because of Edgar Wright, and I think some of that is because of, of, of being British, too. Or at least, yeah. again, being a British movie. We haven't... Is this the first British movie we've ever done? It might be. Have to dig in deep into the archives. But yeah, you're probably right. That's a 100% just, yeah, British production that crossed over i mean but but you mentioned you know that they're not being you know other british zombie films but at this time that this was being developed 28 days later oh that's a good point that that came out like simultaneously which is also a very very different zombie movie groundbreaking yeah i would say kind of like you were talking about with this one adam 28 days later isn't a zombie movie it's a road like travel get to know you intimacies kind of a movie with a background of zombies going on in the background yeah it seems like that's the best type right where like zombies always seem to fall into like i don't want to i don't want to say parody directly but a commentary on culture in that time yes and so when you make the movie about that time but it just happens to have the zombie apocalypse surrounding it then you really can kind of dig into the characters in a deep way they always should be and have been generally speaking at least the best ones character pieces but i know that also before the show was started Colin, you were mentioning there is a difficulty then in taking this film and considering the idea of a sequel. What was your thought process behind that? I have a couple of things to say about that, actually, Um, because, you know, as we know, with a lot of famous zombie stories, particularly, you know, like Walking Dead and also like the classic zombie movies, a lot of the stories revolve around the fact that the human beings, the survivors are sometimes oftentimes worse than the zombies around them mm. like it's it, they're actually much worse they're they're actually the the enemy sometimes you know they're much more like even in 28 days later they explore that that some of the the survivors are worse than the zombies the zombies are just kind of there as just kind of surrounding it and in Shaun of the dead in this case the survivors do have good relationships and they eventually do care even though they kind of like dislike each other on a superficial way they don't hate each other they're not like monsters 
monsters. They're not like trying to kill each other or anything mm. like that. And when this movie wraps up, it's kind of like, and they all get together and they all get along and everybody's okay and we learn to live and love with the zombies. It actually does wrap up very well. And like, it kind of has this whole like, oh God, everybody's dying. What's going to happen? Like just before the ending and like everybody's dead. It's just Sean and Liz and that's it. And then the military comes in all of, all of a sudden at the very, very, very end. And to save them all, they shoot up all the zombies. They find the other survivors. It's like, oh, come with us. And then you see, like, as the news broadcasts unfold at the end, it's like we figured it out, basically. Like, the humans figured it out. They're like, oh, we figured out what the where the outbreak came from. And we figured out how to coexist. We even made game shows about the zombies. Like, we kind of, like... <laughs> You know, like we figured out how to deal with the situation. You could spring off of that. You could say that something goes awry amidst all of this. But the way the movie ends, it gives you the impression that, no, we figured it out and we're all just going to live together. And that's just kind of how it's going to be, which is also very British, too. Like we're <laughs> we're going to like, here's the problem. But rather than exterminate the problem, we're just going to live with it and le- learn to live happily with it. And we're all OK. And that's that's how it wraps up. Well, and Colin, you know, you're in good company because your Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg did consider making a sequel called From Dusk oh. Till Sean. Oh. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> now, I like that title. Now, from what I've heard, brought it up jokingly at a party. I think that's about as far as it went. <laughs> oh, I don't think, because especially knowing Edgar Wright, and this is the same thing we talked about during Scott Pilgrim, Edgar Wright doesn't make sequels. He's moving on to his next creative endeavor, and a sequel is not very creative a lot of well now this is interesting jeff because his next movie is called last night in soho it's very hush hush some sort of psychological thriller nothing's been revealed but slated at least according to imdb is baby driver 2 is in development so he might be breaking that streak for Baby Driver. He might oh, be wow. in love with that universe. I don't How know what it is. How much money did the right. studio well, throw at him, though? Yeah, that's <laughs> a scary question. But the other part is, too, is that from his perspective, the sequel to Shaun of the Dead is Hot Fuzz. That's the sequel. That's why it's called a trilogy. That's the next story in the... Cornetto trilogy. Cornetto. There Cornetto. it is. Interesting thing is, in all three of these movies, the thing that connects them is that they highlight in the movie one flavor of this ice cream. So in Shaun of the Dead, they're both eating strawberry Cornetto. Uh, and then in Hot Fuzz, they're both oh, eating wow. blue something something. And then in World's End, they're eating, oh, I can't remember what the third one is. It, it was uh, mid chocolate chip because okay. it was like green for aliens with bits of chocolate oh, wow. mixed in because of there other things go. that are mixed in, yeah. Considered it a trilogy because essentially he was taking genres and kind of doing his version of a genre and that's what basically they said the reason they weren't going to do a a Shaun of the Dead sequel is if they were going to do it they were going to parody a new type of like monster movie or horror trope and it just you know with all the characters dead it just didn't feel like you were actually going to continue the same story but I say Uh you know maybe we could change his mind if he's opening the door to Baby Driver 2 maybe with our ideas (laughs) we could give him a Shaun of the Dead sequel that makes sense so colin do you want to kick us off 
I really should because it's just a few ideas. You know, I really wanted to come up with a better pitch this time. I've mentioned before in conversation that I'm always the kid who didn't do his homework in the class. And it's like I'm being looked at like, oh, like you know, you could have come up with this big thing. <laughs> However, you know, that was the thing. That's that's what I was thinking about the whole time watching it. I was like, wow, this is really hard to come up with a sequel for. Like it really wraps up. And it, it's also like, how do you write another Edgar Wright comedy? Like I really had to go out of my head i came up with the idea of dawn of the dead you know dawn as in a woman named dawn <laughs> of the dead okay. and it would be like within the same universe and you know possibly after the military comes in there's another outbreak that happens and suddenly the, the zombies that we were trying to be friends with that we were trying to contain or control uh become stronger and more difficult to deal with and like they can break their chains and things like that and then suddenly they become like you can't fight them anymore so at that point they all become contained in like a small house or like a bunker or something and it would be like I, and that's the thing when you mentioned it earlier i was like oh that was kind of my idea <laughs> was the mm -hmm. the bunker heads thing like and i didn't realize this was a show that existed already yeah and like they would be it would be like a like almost like a sitcom-esque you know, scenario in this bunker with with Dawn as as the main character, and it you know what's his name uh, Simon Pegg might be might have a cameo or something as a zombie or something, but it would not be about those previous characters. It would well, be it's kind a of a viable new... project, Colin. Now you know it's been picked up, it's been produced, <laughs> it's been produced. So I, I should have right. come up with it earlier. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this, True. This is how it goes. But yes, and that that was kind of my idea. It would be the play on words you know very english you know kind of them living together in a house like flatmates like kind of like a real world kind of a situation but they're still in danger is what i was getting at like yeah. it's still a little bit scary the zombies are much more difficult to deal with you can't like run around with a cricket bat and bop them on the head anymore <laughs> they're like you know they have to be completely torn apart or the head has to be completely removed in order for them to be defeated you know and then i was actually going to go with the whole the people are worse than the zombies sort of a thing and these people that they live with are just so insufferable that they'd rather just walk out and have to deal with the zombies <laughs> themselves so like Good. that i was thinking of that sort of and like i said i want to come up with more plot points but it's like how how do you write a british comedy i i like comedy i love i used to write a few comedies but like in the british world that's more difficult for me even though i'm very familiar with it and i totally understand it and i love british comedy i was just like oh like how do you, like i was just coming up with scenarios like in a dare i say it's kind Kind of like the Anne Frank a story like where they're all hiding together but then they all just start hating each other like some of them start like they just can't stand each other after a while but they're in a situation where they can't leave basically uh, and that was you know more or less my dawn of the dead and it was like my legally safe dawn of the dead was kind of like what I was what I was going for there okay no that's good I yeah. also thought of something that would like a parallel like in the same you know like the same universe I didn't come up with a name or anything of it but it would be like the mirror image survivors. But I think that was more of a joke. Like you weren't really supposed to know about what happened to them. And like they were more just like a joke on the mirror image of like the same exact scenario that was going on at, at the same time. Like it was, you know, her, like what was her name? Veronica, I think. Like her, Yvonne. her mom. Yvonne, yeah. Yvonne, Yvonne. And like it was like her, her mom, like her, her flatmates, their friends, and like their, their cousin, you know, was the last guy. And he was, oh, what's his name? The cousin was another really famous British comedian too he looked really different in that moment 
Matt Lucas. Do you guys know who Matt Lucas oh, is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah. Yes, from Babies <laughs> and Little Britain. And he was the villain in Polar. I hated that movie. And it was based on a comic book, but it just felt like, oh, it was just an amateur kind of – I'm sorry. This is a whole tangent. But anyway, <laughs> he was he was in the movie. He was in the mirror image, and it was like a funny little hi, hi. And he actually is like, you know, a very funny British comedian. Well, and he we should mention, right you know, who else was in that mirror image is martin yeah. freeman you oh, know really? now a part of the mcu of course right. from sherlock and everything else oh, so he, he's he's just yeah. one of the guys just sit back there and so that was kind of fun and you know i i would mention also that you know yvonne herself that was simon Pegg's co-star from spaced so she oh, like shows right. up at different points throughout the entire film that you know that's like the convergence of it all is that that big moment in the middle but even at the very end you know it's like she's had an adventure and then when the military <laughs> shows up she's there and she's telling him everything you know because that was something i considered as well because that would be like not a sequel not a prequel not a reboot but a concurrent continuity i guess you would call it a, right a rosencrans and uh, guildenstern of course she would do that mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, she also looked so different. Like, her hair color's different. I think she's thinner. Like, she looks really different than she did in space. She was difficult for me to recognize at first. I'm like, oh, yeah. And when I looked her up, I'm like, that, yeah, that's her. Now, Jeff, did you take that concept or did you have a different idea? Oh, about Yvonne. No, no, no. I went in a different <laughs> direction. Yeah. Listeners of the show will know. I always look for existing material to start off. Uh, and so I did see that joke or whatever it was that Simon Pegg and, and Edgar Wright had thrown together. And they said something about, like you said, Adam, that they were going to be spoofing something else, possibly vampires. And for one reason or another, that just stuck with me. So I didn't have a great title initially i was going for something like like you said colin instead of dawn of the dead i went with ron of the dead (laughs) and then i was like no and then i tried like john of the dead so eventually i came up with ed is dead but i don't know how you would make that look like you'd have to write it in the same font because otherwise ed is dead sounds like drop dead fred or something and that would be a very bad connection so Anyway, Ed is Dead takes place six months after the last movie, so basically one year after the original outbreak, because the end of the movie technically takes place six months after. So it's been a year... Sean and Ed still play game like the video games. Ed, you know, is chained out in the yard and they keep playing PlayStation and stuff like that. But the strange thing is, after six years, Ed's actually getting better. Not only is he better at video games, but he's learning how to speak. Uh, and it turns out zombies all over the world are actually learning how to adapt to life. And in fact, uh, and this is kind of one in the Edgar Wright style we kind of see in the backdrop is that they happen to, to mention the fact that one of the zombies is actually running for parliament seeking out equal (laughs) rights for all zombies this is great sean at this point again has been uh now with liz for like a year or so they're married now they're expecting a child and liz is starting to ask what are you going to do about your friend ed he needs to get a job what's he doing here and so ed and sean have this talk about like listen man you've been living here now like i think you need to get a job and so then we would have kind of a maybe not a montage but at least like a series of scenes of ed going to interviews but of course because he's a zombie and there's 
there's kind of a stigma against z- hiring zombies is that he doesn't get hired about you know by any any company and then he actually runs into the zombie mafia but he's like whoa i don't want to go that far into working <laughs> for the zombie mafia so meanwhile in the background again we're kind of seeing that these zombie poli- this zombie politician is running for parliament and he's running up against this guy damien st Clair who says, hey, I'm a vampire, and just full-on admits it, and so everyone has this very serious debate about, like, do we vote for a vampire or do we vote for a zombie? And they all hate zombies so much that they're like, well, he is a vampire. I mean, he murders people and sucks their blood, but he's not a zombie. Oh, all right. So out of this hatred for zombies, they do end up electing the vampire to parliament. Uh, and so sure enough, after him getting elected, he starts pushing through pro-vampire legislation. Uh, and so sure enough, like it'll be passed. Like one day it'll, it'll bring it to a vote and nobody votes for it. And then the next day, four more parliament members will show up looking a little pale and they all of a sudden vote for the pro-vampire legislation. And then eventually, like, <laughs> like more and more of parliament is kind of voting along. And, and if they, they oppose, then they come back the next day and all of a sudden they switch sides for mysterious reasons. So eventually, like, this kind of continues and England kind of devolves into chaos. But the interesting thing is, is these vampires are kind of taking over, but zombies are immune to vampires because they're not, they're already dead. So the undead is of no use to them, but that leads to further hatred is now the humans are like, oh yeah, and the zombies aren't even worried, like horrible. So now everybody really hates the zombies. So Ed finally finds his calling though, uh, amongst all of this is that he figures out if he unites all of the zombies and they fight against the vampires for humanity, maybe they would finally get accepted. So the climax of the movie is this kind of extended battle as he's rallying all all of the zombies to go and basically fight all of parliament because they're all vampires at this point to fight them all. And then the humans that are left are kind of like, thank you for saving me. And they come to their side and et cetera, et cetera. So together, uh, the humans and the, the zombies defeat all of the vampires and the, the humans are like, Hey zombies, you're all right. And you know what? Ed, we think you should be our new prime minister. So they elect Ed <laughs> prime minister. So he wow. goes back to Sean and says, hey, Sean, I got a job. And he says, terrific. You can continue to live here because now you have a legit job. Very nice. Zombies I versus vampires. That. This is good. I was going to say, I'm seeing I'm seeing the political parallel here. It's, it's really funny. The double-edged sword. <laughs> so who do you vote for? <laughs> well, good, Jeff. Now, I also decided to take a different direction here in that we had, you know, Shaun of the Dead, a play on Dawn of the Dead. So for my Shot of the Dead sequel, I decided to give it the title of Life of the Living Dead instead of Night of the Living Dead. Ah! All right. And also, uncharacteristically for me, I have set this film 15 years after the first film in the present day. Here we go. Sean and Liz are still happily married in the post-zombie outbreak world. As shown at the end of the film, the surviving zombies have been integrated into society as a workforce for menial labor, being referred to as Z class citizens. The outbreak was halted, but a cure was never found to reverse the zombie virus. Given his close connection to Zombie Ed, Sean has become an advocate for the families of the living dead, making sure they get fair wages of brains and guts while the money goes back to their living families. Zombie labor has become big business. That is, of course, now
now being exploited by a corporation called Z-People, whose friendly company slogan is, You see zombies, we see people. Run by the seemingly altruistic Robert Plant, no, not that one, played by Ricky Gervais, who is pocketing the Z-Class money for himself by rounding up and hiring out crews of unclaimed or orphaned zombies, making Plant Sean's greatest nemesis. People now donate their brains and organs to the zombie feast fund at death, and there is a humorous scene of Sean negotiating with suppliers of the literal brain food, complaining that they've been trying to pass off soccer hooligans' brains as A-Gray, which is the short term for gray matter meat, when they are clearly C-Gray at best. <laughs> Sean has remained hesitant to have children with Liz due to the trauma of his father dying when he was young, and his troubled relationship with his now undead stepdad Philip, plus the fact that he basically cares for Ed as if he was their child. Liz no longer resents Ed, but still wants to have a child of their own, and her biological clock is ticking. One morning, Ed walks into the kitchen free from the effects of the zombie virus and starts joking around like there's never been a problem, picking on Sean for looking so old. Shocked, Sean investigates and finds a needle entry point at the base of Ed's neck. It appears that Ed has received a cure to zombieism. Following the breadcrumbs of Ed's patchy zombie memory, they locate the source of the cure, which turns out to be none other than Sean's dad, Nathan, played by Eric Idle. Nathan explains that he was a normal pharmacist who was recruited by what he thought was a government agency to create a more potent form of Viagra, but in the process stumbled upon a virus that became the zombie plague. <laughs> He's been on the run for over a decade working on a cure, and after finding Zombie Ed sharing a joint with a surly parrot and laughing at his comic insult one-liners, decided to test out the latest batch, which worked! Going to Nathan's lab, they meet all the subject of his past failed formulas, who he calls his kids. There's Olivia, played by Emily Blunt, who only regains her humanity for five minutes at a time when administered a mild electric shock. There's Jeffrey, played by Asa Butterfield, who had his appetite modified to crave wood. So he's always whittling beautiful wood sculptures with his teeth, which Nathan praises, which makes Sean a little jealous. There's also an old lady named Eleanor, played by Maggie Smith, who is not actually a zombie, but is just lonely. So she pretends to be infected <laughs> and says that whatever Nathan shot her up with did wonders for her arthritis. <laughs> Finally, we have Gary, who is locked away in a heavily fortified chamber and spoken of only in hushed tones. When asked why Nathan doesn't simply give his kids the cure now to make them normal, he explains that the mixture of the chemicals that is currently in their veins and the new formula would kill them. But there is still time to offer it to the world if they can safely get it to an ethical research facility that would not use the cure for the benefits of its other side effects, invulnerability and adaptability, because in a sort of Death Becomes Her style twist, when administered to the living, the cure prevents death by simply modifying the biology of the recipient to adapt to the deadly situation. Nathan demonstrates on Eleanor by first breaking her arm at the elbow, which then heals quickly to become double-jointed. He pours Drano down her throat, which she claims just cures her heartburn. <laughs> Even taking a meat cleaver to her head, which just expands her brain capacity, giving Eleanor the ability to speak Korean. <laughs> Plant eventually gets wind of the cure and sees an end to his current fortunes, but also a whole new potential revenue stream. So the businessman sends out his fast-talking, always-looking-for-a-promotion underling, Braxton, played by Russell Brand, to obtain the cure. Braxton tries many comedic schemes to get a hold of the cure that fail. 
Meanwhile, Nathan and Sean begin catching up on their relationship, and Sean learns life lessons from his dad, which opens up his heart to having kids of his own, while Ed and Olivia strike up a romance five minutes at a time. Everything seems to be wrapping up nicely once they meet a scientist played by Emma Thompson who's raising a Z-class child of her own, and has the ability to produce and distribute the cure vaccine securely on a mass scale. But when Sean, Nathan, and crew go out to Piccadilly Circus for a day trip, Braxter breaks in, and in addition to stealing the cure, sets gear free from his prison. Gary, you see, grew wings from his failed cure formula and is now free on the streets, feasting and spreading the zombie plague again at an alarming rate. We find out during this that Gary was Olivia's boyfriend, which adds a wrinkle to her relationship with Ed as she has to be sexy and woo the winged zombie to Earth in order to stop his rampage. Business will be good for Plant now that the outbreak means the cure will be in higher demand. Of course, there's a big showdown with our heroes where Braxton ingests some of the cure turns himself into an unstoppable bodyguard, but Sean figures the one thing he won't be happy about adapting to is electricity when he's zapped by Olivia's shocking bracelet unit, which causes Braxton's skin to become as hard as wood so it won't conduct the charge, and in that case, he's devoured by a hungry Jeff who eats wood. Emma Thompson's scientist character shows up and punches out Plant for declaring that not only will he not actually share the cure with the Z-Class, he will create an army of indestructible soldiers to plunder the country right up to the crown jewels. Emma Thompson's character appears, and she obviously has taken him out. So with Plant knocked out, we find out that Ed was actually recording his tirade on a video which goes straight to social media. A heartwarming scene follows where Emma Thompson's scientist character administers the cure to her son, bringing him back to his true self. She then sets out to manufacture distribute the cure throughout the UK as we see Plant holding a press conference to denounce the video as a fake, claiming his Z people are happy people, which they are when they devour him on live television. At the end, we jump ahead nine months to the baby shower for Liz and Sean's soon-to-be-born baby girl named Barbara after Sean's mother, whose head he blew off in the first film. Oh my the god. <laughs> <laughs> Life of the Living Dead. Yes, indeed. That sounds like something akin to how Edgar Wright did Scott Pilgrim. You know, very bombastic and very silly and very comic booky. And I think it actually does fit in with his style very well, actually. Yeah, he's <laughs> so, like, you got to do something a little different. Just go, go bigger, a little bit go bigger big, on this one. Go bigger, go home. <laughs> yes. All right, Jeremy, what do you got for us? 20 years have passed since the infection swept the land. Zombie Ed is still locked in the shed, but it's been difficult time of late keeping him fed so that he doesn't nip at the children. Speaking of children, Sean and Liz have a trio of them. Three teens, twin girls and a boy. As we left the zombie folk last time, they were doing mundane and medial tasks around town, comedy fodder for TV shows and more. But basically, the infection phase of the outbreak hadn't had any major flare-ups in nearly two decades besides the occasional bite of a handler or two. But over the last five years, there's been bigger and bigger outbreaks in pockets all across the land that's quickly quashed by the military. One day, Sean heads out to the shed to play games and unwind after a long day at work, but Uncle Ed has gone missing, as has his three kids, and the back door has been broken out. After speaking to the neighbors, Sean finds their zombies have gone rogue as well, leaving a wake of random destruction through town 
Then they all seem to have disappeared without a trace. Liz gets home to find a broken Sean who's looking for clues in the house as to where the kids have gone. They frantically set out on a quest to find the truth and their children. Meanwhile, the kids have been taken hostage by the military, who've been testing new technologies on the zombies as a way to activate them for military use rather than the mundane everyday tasks they've been used for since the outbreak. Activating and deactivating them has been the core issue, but they seem to have found something different with Uncle Ed and the kids. Now, I'm envisioning the kids' plot versus the military being kind of the A story driving the story along. Sean and Liz... Seeking out the kids would be a B story, kind of cutting in from time to time. Uh, the kids story would be more of a rom-com with zombies amongst other kids who have been taken hostage by the by the military. Uh, Sean and Liz's story would play more like a taken action film. Casting wise, I do have some names here just to throw them out there. Ralph Fiennes as the government assassin who faces down Sean and Liz in a hand-to-hand -hand combat in a scene. Timothy Dalton as the chief military general, Hugh Laurie as the lead evil scientist, the twin girls. I found a couple actresses that would fit the look and feel Kendra Appleton and Bridget Fleming. You probably have to look them both up. I did. And just some teen boy with comedy chops. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Holland. He's the hot new thing now. The only teen right, boy we can think of. <laughs> yeah, he's a little old for the role. So, yeah, that would be Sean, colon, Return of the Dead. All right. Well, now that the pitches have been read, let's get down to business. Adam, where does your vote fall? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm hearing about Jurassic World with zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing about Dawn of the Dead in a bunker. It's been produced, but not on the big screen. Uh, right. But I, I gotta be honest, Jeff's whole political comedy, you know, just going with, with these vampires kind of usurping and saying, like, oh, people are going to hate the zombies more than they hate vampires. This is our time, you know? I mean, there's just so much to play with in that world so i gotta vote for jeff all right jeff where do you fall oh gosh there was a lot to digest there uh i feel like <laughs> especially because i haven't seen the thing that you were referring to adam that's the whole bunker thing for me just kind of picturing what edgar wright would do with that one i feel like that one especially with the the already the connection to spaced and kind of turning it into space, especially when, Colin, when you mentioned about the whole, like, they would prefer to be eaten by zombies than spend one more day right. eating people. <laughs> right. I love that. So that would, Thank be, you. <laughs> that would be my choice. All right, Colin? I was really entertained by Jeff's pitch. I just, I, I liked the political parallels to it, but I also like the idea of focusing on Ed after the fact and, and see, you know, because also Adam did the same thing with that, is is having Ed be a character that basically returns. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that element too. And I liked the whole, you know, who do we... Who do we vote for? Like the zombie or this vampire who comes out and admittedly says he's a vampire to the world. And I, I was very entertained by that. So, um, yes, I'm going to go with Jeff. All right. Well, I'll vote the same way. That puts it three to one. Wow. All right. Jeff, way to go. Wow. You get all <laughs> the candy. Here we go. Woo. <laughs> the sweet stuff. Happy Halloween. 
Now, I got to tell you, the first thing that popped into my mind, you know, because what happens during political campaigns, I don't know how parliamentary campaigning actually works, but, you know, in America, you (laughs) slander and you mudsling and you do these, you know, alarmist commercials. Yes. So I just can't, I mean, I just am seeing the the vampire commercials, the anti-zombie, it's like, what's a little blood when they want to eat your brains? You know, like, they're going to take your intestines. We just want a little drink. You know, it's like, it's like, we can't, we all just get along. You know, like this whole thing, like, I, I just love that idea that they would paint them you know as these horrible beasts and they're just dignified do you anybody understand the the workings of parliament oh man uh i'm i'm the wrong guy to ask (laughs) (laughs) i think to make it accessible to the world you don't focus heavily on that most likely well and that was kind of my thought too is that at least initially just like with the first one is that the, the whole political thing is almost going on in the background and you don't really mm. know about it until he's actually elected. And then and then even that, like, I don't know if it's like maybe the whole story with Ed trying to get a job and like facing uh, prejudice and stuff like that. If that's the A story and then the B story is kind of this vampire takeover that's kind of happening in the background. And then maybe the zombie mafia comes back and recruits him. Or something. This is <laughs> well, like, well, Jeff, yeah. that was my question for you. When you brought up the zombie mafia, yeah. we have to recall that these particular zombies, you know, as they've been presented to us, don't really speak or think terribly well. So well, I was trying to understand, like, what now. changed. Right. It's just time. Like that, okay. you know, it, it's the same thing like you guys even mentioned is that they do kind of play with that already where they do seem to react to stimuli and there's the different things. And I mean, like somehow I'm guessing they don't keep feeding Ed humans, but he somehow seems to not be just this ravenous whatever. So at least to me, it was kind of like, so what if they just all of a sudden go back to being Human, I was almost thinking, I don't know if we brought this up before, but there was an old Phil Hartman sketch on Saturday Night Live where he was caveman lawyer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing sure. was he was completely normal. He just had caveman makeup on. And so he would just be like, I don't know these things. I'm just a caveman. So it's that same thing. Like, yeah, in the intervening time, maybe the time, because you said six months, right? And I think it needs to maybe be a little bit longer, but there's been like rehumanizing therapy. And I think what the benefit then people will say, why are zombies so lovable now? Is that they're very straight shooters. You know, like they just tell the truth. They, they're not smart enough to be tricky. And so like you can, you can trust a zombie is basically what it comes down to. Like, so, you know, at least in, in the counter campaign, painting you know you know that a zombie is not going to take advantage of you and seduce you and hypnotize you like a vampire would they're just going to tell it like it is and so <laughs> I, I feel like that's maybe why they've been more accepted in society as well because you know that everybody trusts a zombie and that could be like a bumper sticker on somebody's car right. or something well, you know at least for mine it was that they weren't accepted in society like they're second class citizens well yeah and I, I guess what i'm saying is that should be the campaigning for the benefit of the zombies, you know, it's like they're trying to turn public opinion that way. Highlighting their strengths, you know, playing their weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> so the question I have then, Jeff, is when you had Sean in this story, what was his main role, would you say? It's not his movie anymore. So right. that's why it's Ed's movie now. His main role is like, he's Liz, 
basically, is that Liz in the first movie was the one telling Sean to get his act together and I'm out of here otherwise and whatever. So now he's Liz to Ed, is that Ed's the one, like, you got to get your act together because I've gotten my act together. And the idea, I guess, is, again, that Ed has been through this therapy, so he's he's much more human than he was at the end of the film. Yeah, to a certain extent, that's the joke, is that you're really asking a zombie to get a job so that he can continue to live. So, but yeah, I mean, I think you, you laid out a pretty good plot there overall. Ed being head of parliament then, being prime, <laughs> the prime minister of the country, is a, is a great way to end the film. But... Jeff, as far as head vampire, I think getting into casting is going to play a big part in, in how people get excited about this movie. My first thought is Hugo Weaving. Oh, wow. Has he ever played a vampire? Because he would be a great vampire. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. I think Hugo. Is that just ha- because he was a great Nazi? I mean, <laughs> well, he's pale. He's very, you know, he's got fierce features. See, I he's thought, older, but though. he's not likable. See, that's why I was kind of picturing, and the one that I had in my head was actually because he played the almost the same character in Twilight, and he's now in the new Good Omens show. Michael Sheen, oh, oh, the one that from I Tron Legacy. Yes, of course, sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tron Legacy is maybe not the one he wants us to remember, but uh, but yeah. So he's well, kind of lovable so he's more charismatic I that see. was my thought yeah. as opposed to evil like i i mean because if you're going that where he's like i am a vampire <laughs> well i'd still rather vote that would be even you know more extreme than i was thinking where they're but like, to me that'd be funnier because he should have pr vampires that work with him you know kind of like the penguin had of batman returns bringing it back to that <laughs> where like they're trying you got to soften your image and he's like terrible at being very likable <sighs> but then he, he eventually gets the hang of it somehow and then it, it all falls apart so he just starts hypnotizing people like you said like the everybody showing up to parliament is now a vampire because he's just turning everybody here's a fun fact i didn't really i mean like i'm looking at his wikipedia entry of he was with kate beckinsale michael sheen for like eight years or so so like i guess he is he's, connected to the whole vampire some... <laughs> <laughs> but because i mean the, the only challenge with that that i would see as far as making him like yeah really horrible is that if that's going to be the b story is that i don't know how you develop that really unless he's a little bit more prominent or or, or something because you're saying the main story is about ed trying to get a job and being right. discriminated that's against more... and he just falls into the vampire story by the end of it right. okay. now, the other thing that i thought was funny and i don't know if you guys i feel like we've talked about this before but speaking of taiko waititi is that uh with his yeah. which now they've made it into a show is the what we do in the shadows and one of the funny things that they did in that is they had the four main vampire characters were all kind of spoofs of different vampire styles so they had one that was the very like tom cruise lestat from uh interview with a vampire they had one that was very much like vlad like he's supposed to be like gary oldman's dracula one who was supposed to be like nosferatu one that was supposed to be much more like the hip shiny kind of glittery twilight vampire so i thought that might be kind of fun to kind of play with the different styles of vampire i mean if you really want to go extreme and that's where i feel like some of that would be lost then is it it, it, i feel like you go too far into the satire and you lose the satire is to make him like a full-on nosferatu vampire where he can barely speak and everyone's like look at this guy and like yeah but he's not a zombie 
Like, I don't know if going that far would be so ridiculous as that we'd lose them. Well, I mean, I, I kind of see what you're saying. The only question I have, just because I'm forgetting this from your pitch, is what is the downfall of the vampires, ultimately? Like, what is the conflict that they lose? Well, is that Ed, he gets all the zombies together, and because the zombies are immune, because they can't turn them, is that then they just defeat them in a very Edgar Wright you know, actions. But but is it like a gang war? Is this, you know, Jets versus Shark? More like a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if there's any special gimmick or something like that. I mean, we could certainly come up with something along those lines, but... So Ed, obviously, like, the public opinion turns in his favor somehow where he becomes prime minister and all these things. So I guess what I was trying to figure out is what is his beef with the vampires? Like, is it what I was talking about? Just because the vampires are making it harder for zombies and they're slandering them? My thought was that Ed needed a job. And they're like, hey, do you want to overthrow Parliament? All right. And, so, and then they make him they make him prime minister. Because my thought was there's not going to be an election. It's just because everything is, uh. all of Parliament is now dead. And so they're like, hey, you, like, do you want to be prime minister? All right. So what what's happening with regular humans during all of this then while there's this this massive chaos and battles between these two factions? Yeah, my thought was that because the vampires are taking over and again that's where that pro vampire legislation thing would kind of come into play where it's kind of like another apocalypse in a certain sense for the humans, but the zombies are unaffected because they can't be turned. So because uh, my thought was like you could make policy about like scarves are now illegal or any kind of covering of the neck and like <laughs> something that really is like, seriously, it's now illegal to stop a vampire. Well, and I, and I think one of the great gimmicks would be, you know, because again, vampires need to come out at night. So it, like everything has to be shut down during the day. So all businesses are, no, there's a curfew during the daytime so now people are like terribly you know tired they're not adjusting well they're not getting melatonin from the sun and their skin there's just all sorts of problems it's creating so i think that yeah i think there's a lot of bits you can work into that and i do like just the idea that ultimately like you said if it just comes down to ed needed a job like there's just got to be a scene where sean comes up to me he's like ed what are you doing he's just basically you told me to get a job i'm working on it you know (laughs) like Well, and that could be where, too, like you mentioned about the zombie mafia is that and that was kind of why I threw that in there, because I thought that was a funny idea. That could be he ends up taking the job is the zombie mafia wants to destroy parliament and like they offer him a job. Pretty funny. (laughs) You know, in that case, then I can I can definitely go with the, the Michael Sheen character. I feel like maybe like you said, if you have the different archetypes of vampires we could still have hugo weaving in the mix but he's maybe the one that's like the super arch and serious vampire they're always telling him to lighten up (laughs) if we could bring a little bit of my previous casting in can we just get russell brand in this movie i love him i just want to see him in more things oh man i i disagree i don't like the russell brand yeah i mean this is a can of words we we don't have to go back and forth on it but like i i just instead of get him to the greek get him to parliament <laughs> my fear is he's a scene stealer and not necessarily in a bad way but i feel like it'd be really hard to have him play in second fiddle okay can we make him true. more of more of a cameo as a zombie or a vampire just to he's have him gotta be a vampire in? he's he's too fashionable to be a zombie <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, that just a cameo at least. Yeah, it'd be like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen like throwing him in there. Same thing, where he's just he's gonna steal the scene. That if that's what you're going for, then you know that could work. So I assume that Ed is gonna need some sort of sidekick or friend that's along with him for the ride. Is that gonna be a human or a zombie person? Because like if Ed's just wandering around by himself all the time, or you know rallying hordes of zombies, like it feels like he's kind of being isolated. So you need somebody to play off of. So and you said Sean's not really a main character then. So do do we need to think of somebody who could be a good foil to him or? could be a you know a good companion in the story do you think that disrupts it too much uh no like so what are you thinking like uh like what what kind well, of a I, i'm thinking like a zombie rights advocate who really gets behind his cause at a certain point and sees like all the other zombies really like ed so like he or she really attaches to him so it's kind of that scenario where it's like initially it's for like oh this is my cause and i still believe in it and then like they develop a friendship and then all this kind of stuff like that plays along could we have a vampire be his second Uh, like somebody who's crossing over see i was supporting the zombies that's really funny what if it's a human that she has a crush on him, but again, they're second class citizens. So it's like, they, didn't they even do that at the end of the first movie where it was kind of that whole, like, I'm in love with a zombie or something like that? Oh, there was one of the TV shows? Yeah. 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 To have this <laughs> there whole, was on like, a talk so there's, show. There's, yeah. this, there's this stigma or, or whatever. That's a good way to go. So there's a little bit of a romance element to it, which I think could play well there. So the question is, is there a, a British actress, a comedic actress that we think could fit well into that role? I just saw Hobbs and Shaw, and I was like, she's pretty good. Vanessa Kirby? Is that who you mean? Yeah, Vanessa Kirby, right. She does seem to have some good comic timing. I mean, if she could be at Hobbs and Shaw, she could play off the rock. What's the age range we're looking at here? <laughs> but I that's mean, what how, I'm saying. She had a romance with like a 45-year-old Dwayne Johnson, so Nick Frost, he's a lovable zombie, so the age is not really the issue here. It's not as creepy if he's a zombie already, because it's already creepy. Karen Gillan? <laughs> Nova from the MCU? Yeah. Uh-oh. Amy from Doctor Who is who she really is. <laughs> She was that Nova? would actually be pretty good. Yeah, no, not Nova. Um, Nebula. 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 Oh. Yeah, Nebula. Yeah, that's okay. who I meant. I was going to say, was... no, Nova's a guy. Yeah, he's an awesome <laughs> character. Because, Adam, I was thinking about your gal, uh, Rebel Wilson. That seems like it would be perfect I Actually, she was my first thought, too, but I'm like, she's Australian. <laughs> she's oh, Australian. Come on, we're American. Yeah, we don't you know what? <laughs> They do an accent, and it's all above our heads. Well, we the, my no other point. issue with that is, like, <laughs> why does a heavy girl have to be with a heavy set guy? It's you know, like, that, and it's more, I could totally see her fawning after somebody who she's not supposed to. That seems like Well, and she did just do that parody of rom-com films uh, that came out. My wife was watching that the other day. Isn't it romantic, oh, yeah. I think is what it was called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and she was pretty funny in that, so I, I think that actually could work really well. Because, yeah. Yes, I love me some Rebel Wilson. Right. So, and because that's what I was thinking too, is that even if you used an American actress, that like that could even add to the kind of fish out of water thing. Not that she's American, but you know what I mean. If you use somebody like that, then it's kind of like I, I got trapped here or something like that. You know, I'm visiting family or you know. 
Well, I think you got a solid film there. You got Nick Frost headlining with Michael Sheen and Rebel Wilson and maybe a cameo by Russell Brand if he plays his cards right. And uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good flick. Now, what was what was your title again, Jeff? Did you have I one? I said Ed is dead, but oh, yeah. I, didn't, like, I don't know that I was in love with that one. Well, I mean, I think I think that plays just as well. I mean, uh, what if we went Ed of the Dead? Ed of the Dead. I thought about that, but then it's like it doesn't quite make sense. I'm okay either way. I like Ed of the Dead. Yeah, <laughs> it's it just rolls fun to say. Top. Well, Colin, thanks for coming out to trick or treat with us uh, tonight. Anytime, honestly, if if you ever want to do another one, I'd really love to do this again. Definitely. Anyway, if you guys are looking out for what's to come. Keep an eye on the Retro Network. And actually, if you go over to the Retro Network feed where our show appears, if you listen to the main The Retro Network podcast, they're always very good about giving the details of upcoming shows, particularly our show, since we're also the only other podcast on the network. So you can get all your information there. Plus, it's just fun. Listen to Jason and Mickey talk give you the latest on what retro pop culture properties are coming back in the form of films, movies, merchandise. So really recommend that you get over there and connect. And hey, you know, this is our Halloween episode. We'd love to see what you're wearing this year. Or if you got an old picture from back in the day, shoot it our way. We'd love to see that on social media. Find us at SQPod. Find the Sequel Quest Facebook page. All that jazz. So, until next time, how's that for a slice of fried gold? We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. All right, there's a door slamming in the hallway. I got to go check on, but I will be right back. I do have a pitch. Okay. Oh, God. (laughs) Zombies. Jeremy, be careful. Don't forget your cooking facts. Be careful, (laughs) Jeremy. That's terrifying.